Good morning, Elevate. How are you guys doing this morning? Man, it's good to be here. It's good to worship uh, today. Uh, like Drew said, I just want to reiterate, we have t-shirts out there. If you went out there and we didn't have your size or you want another t-shirt, we don't have your size. We have more at the office and we'll bring them next week. Um, we just paid $10 for them, so we just asked for $10 um, just to get more t-shirts. Uh, we'll do another round of these uh, for year two of Elevate Christian Church. Um, but I want, to, I want to share with you guys... Uh, what I know and what I've learned. Um, whenever I was younger, um, there was something I loved to do, and maybe some of you guys loved to do, which was to go over to your friend's house and spend the night, or have one of your friends come over and spend the night. This is the time where you guys got to know each other a little bit better, maybe get in a little bit of mischief, maybe not do the thing, stay up, stay up way too late at night, play way too much video games, drink way too much Mountain Dew. Or whatever you guys decide to do, listen to music, scream at the top of your lungs, do dance parties. Whatever it was, this was something that was a lot of fun whenever we were younger. And I really wanted to go to my friend's house. He lived down the street. I always had, we always had a blast at his house because his family uh, valued sleepovers. So they would always bring so much food. They'd have so much Mountain Dew. We would not sleep. We'd play video games all night. We'd watch movies all night. We would go to bed when the sun was coming up and we'd sleep all the way through into the afternoon. And I went to my dad and asked, hey, can I go and spend the night at my friend's house? And he said no. And I got really frustrated. He gave a big long list of reasons, but I wasn't, you know, paying attention because I don't do that. And I immediately thought, like, man, I can, what if I just go to my mom and ask the same question? Maybe she'll have a different answer. So I go over to my mom who comes into the room or comes home a little later, and I say, hey, mom, uh, my friend down the street said I could just spend the night. Can I go and spend the night? And she said, I don't see any reason with that. Yeah, why not? You, yeah, go ahead and pack up, and I'll drive you in just a couple minutes. I was like, sweet. So I run to my room, and I hear my, my parents greet each other. So, hey, how was your day? You know, the, the typical family talk whenever you uh, get home. And then I heard a really, like, long silence for a long time. And then I heard like this muffling, like bickering for just a few seconds. And then it was real eerie quiet for like, it probably was only 10 seconds, but it felt like minutes. And those minutes felt like it's turned into like 10, 20 minutes. And then I heard really loud footsteps coming up the steps. And just one step after another, after another. And it seemed like they never reached the top. It just kept going and kept going and kept going. And they finally reached the top. And when I turned around, I didn't even hear the door open. They were just in the doorway looking at me. And I remember this forever. And my dad looked at me and he said, you know, when I say something to you, when I give you an answer, that's the final answer. I'll hear your reasoning. I'll hear your reasons why you want to go do something. But I am the final answer in this household. So here's the truth today. There are times in our life when we don't get what we want. Sometimes those things are just kind of irritating or frustrating, but sometimes those things can hurt. Either it's our current situation, sometimes it doesn't stroke our ego, or just things do not satisfy us in the moment. The hard truth about this, and which is also the main point in life, when we don't get what we want, when we pray and we ask for something and we don't get it, we still need to understand that God is all we need. 
We are continuing our series as we started last week in Easter, where we're going to go through five of the Ten Commandments. The reason we chose the first five is because the first five deal with our relationship with God. Everything, the first five, has to deal with how we interact with God in Christ. And the following five is how we deal with each other, our interactions with each other. So we're going to take the, the last five and we're going to split that up and do that at a later time of the year. But today we're going to talk about the number two commandment, which says this in Exodus 20, 4 through 8. If you want to follow along, um, there's a QR card code out front. If you go to the Bible app and you go to the events, our outline's out there. If you, if you don't want to do that, that's okay. The scripture and everything will be right behind me. So this is where we get the Ten Commandments. Now, this is where we get uh, this specific commandment. It's in Exodus 20. And the second commandment is 4 through 6. It says this, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, Studying scripture for the very first time when I went to college, you don't hear the second part of that scripture. Like when you were going to school, when you looked up the Ten Commandments, if you went to church growing up and there was a Ten Commandments list, the second part of that scripture was not on there. It basically just says, you shall not have any graven images, or you shall not have any idols, if I'm correct. It never mentions the second part where God's like, look, this really irritates me. This really frustrates me. I'm a jealous God, and this angers me. I remember reading that for the first time. I'm like, man, God, chill out. Like, it's okay. Like, we love you. It's okay. But whenever I studied the scripture, and I realized what this meant for the people whenever he gave it to them, is why he said he was a jealous God. So this is what this scripture meant for the people um, in Israel. So this was given to the people right after they left um, enslaved for 400 years. They were, in, they were captured and they were uh, suppressed for 400 years um, under Pharaoh. And during that time, the people that they were suppressed under, the Egyptians, would have had idols. They would have had things that they worshipped uh, on a regular basis. They probably lined the streets. They probably had statues and images and paintings and drawings and communication around these idols. This was something that was a part of their every day. Basically, they would find one God and they would worship that God. And whenever that God did not give them what they wanted, they ended up creating another one. And they said, I'm just going to worship this one, and this God is for this issue. So if they were going to war, they would pray to the God of war. If they wanted uh, to pray uh, for fertility, they would pray for the fertility God. If they wanted money, they would pray for an abundance, the blessing God. Literally any issue you can think of, there was a God for. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, would have been ingrained with this culture for 400 years. 
And as you know, over generation after generation after generation, people just start to become ingrained with the culture around them. If you could talk to your great-grandfather, they, they would probably roll over. You would say they would roll over in the grave if they knew how we ran church today, how we talked to people. I knew if I talked to my, just my grandfather, the fact that I'm not wearing a suit on stage probably would have really offended him in that moment. Over time, you kind of just go with the flow. So the people are out of, out of slavery, and God says, I'm going to give you ten commandments, and one of them is, you shall have no other gods before you. This would have been mind-blowing for probably some of the younger people. This would have been a completely culture shock for some of the people of the Jewish culture, because other gods and just talking about other gods was a part of their everyday life. And God says, destroy them all. We want nothing to do with it. I am the only God. I am the jealous God. But when we study that scripture, this is what a lot of people have issue with. We see the Ten Commandments, but we don't study why God created it, and we just get really frustrated with it. We see that some people have an issue with God saying, I am the only God. You should only worship me. So my first question for you guys, do you have an issue with that today? Do you really, when you, when you look at the core of what God's asking us to do and saying, God is the, the one stop here. There's nothing else that we should put our faith in in our life to get what we want, but God is going to satisfy and give us everything that we need in our life. God is the first thing that we think about. See, many people have an issue with this. Many people in our culture, if you, if you talk to people, they're like, well, I don't really like the rules. I don't like the restrictions. I like to do what I want to do. And to be honest, there's times in my life when I have an issue with this. There are times in my life, and I've talked about this on stage before, where I didn't get the answer that I wanted. I, did, I, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I didn't get the answer and the desire of my heart to get a certain place in my life, to get, to get a certain thing in my family, to get enough money, money so I could do a certain thing with people, to get enough blessing in my life. You could think of the a thousand different reasons of why, what I would pray for to receive something in my life, and when I didn't get that in my life growing up, I had an issue with it. And if I was a betting man... I bet a lot of you guys did as well. There's no way that you can read this entire book. There's no way you can read the entire Bible and not be offended by something that God said. And that's okay. Because I know for a fact that the Israelites, the people that God gave this direct message to, struggled with it as well. And this was the number one thing that they struggled with Time and time again. Time and time again. And I believe this is the number one culture in our world today. In the church and out of the church. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more. Even in the New Testament, after, after Jesus came and gone and they had a new covenant under Jesus, they were no longer under the old covenant of the law. When Jesus came, they still, the people struggled with it. See, in the New Testament, there was a new uh, disciple that was added after Jesus. His name was Paul. And his goal while he was on this earth was to bring the good news 
to um, the Gentiles to bring, and to bring the new, good news to the Jewish people and kind of figure out how to blend those two together. So if you read a lot of his scripture or a lot of his uh, writings, you see where he's talking about the Jewish people, he's talking about the non-Jewish people, and they're trying to figure out how to live life together. And he ends up in uh, Athens, and he's having a conversation and a meeting with the philosophers of the time, the smartest people, the big thinkers that lived in Athens. And this is what it says amongst that conversation. This is Paul talking. This is Acts 17, 22 through 23, and then 29 and 31 at the end. It says, this is what Paul said. Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see you are very religious. For as I was walking around looking carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So you are so, you are arrogant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold, silver, or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people, wherever, they, wherever, to repent. For he has sent a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, so many people think idols are just these little bitty wooden carvings or these candles that we pray to in light or these, these paintings that we just place in certain places or sculptures. But as we learned in Athens, it got to the point where there were so many different gods. There are so many different religions in the world that they just created a blanket statement of to the unknown God. It seemed that almost anything that we learned in Scripture, almost anything can become an idol in our life. But why is this a big deal? You know, why does God become jealous of just, of just anything? Why does, God, why does Paul come here and put such a hammer down on these people and said, you are ignorant and you don't know what you're praying for, please, for everything that God says, repent. Because there will be a time and a place where you will be judged. The reason it's such a big deal to God, and if you read past where God gave the people the Ten Commandments, you'll see this. It's because we are telling God that he's not enough. We say, God, your plans aren't enough. What you have for my life is not an an enough. And the answers that you give to my prayers just aren't enough. You're not answering the way I think you should answer, so I'm just going to go somewhere else and get the answer that I want to get. And what we're doing is we are hoping and praying that we find something in our path towards, uh, towards our life that will satisfy something in our life. We're hoping that we just stumble upon something that can satisfy the thing that we don't think God is giving to us. We do this all the time. 
when we have any sort of pain in our life, discomfort, we don't put our promises, we don't put our trust in the promises that Christ gives us. We immediately go to entertainment, we go to our cell phone, we go quickly to food and alcohol or anything to just get our mind off the pain. And when we don't like our current life situation, we immediately just jump to the conclusion that it's not good and we end up quitting our jobs, getting divorces, throwing away money. And it's all because we think that the grass is greener on the other side, and we never ask God, you know, what is your will? We just know we don't like it. Any ounce of discomfort in our life, we just try to fix it as soon as possible. We go to whatever gives us satisfaction in an instant so that we can get the answer that we want. And these things have stood the test of time. We can look back in our family. We can look back for generations at a time. We can look back at writings and just novels of what's going, what was going on in history. And we can see this in people. Some of the biggest mistakes people made in their life were quick and easy decisions to get somewhere in life. But there is a new wave in our society in the past 40 years that I want to talk about. Something that we are all very connected with and we all see on a, on a daily basis. And that is fame. Fame was always something that was kind of out in the distance for very many years. We kind of just chalked it up as some people will become famous over their life. We see them on TV. We see them in the news. And it's kind of like we just chalked it up as like, you know, they were in the right place at the right time. And they got their 15 minutes of fame. And they took advantage of that. And they got to make a life out of being famous. But if you fast forward to 2022, in today's culture, becoming famous is a lot easier than it was 60, 70, 80 years ago. In fact, if you just go online and you go to YouTube and you figure out how to draw attention to yourself, how to become famous, they will give you very easy steps on how to get as much attention on yourself as possible. They will give you outlines and books and templates on how you can get on movies, how you become famous on social media, how to become YouTube famous. They'll even give you five easy steps. You'll find a hundred video, videos of these, five easy steps on how to become famous. They look at famous people and they envy them because they want what they want. They want to remove the lifestyle that they're in. And they want to remove who they are and become the person that they see. They basically say, I am not enough, but fame will make me enough. It doesn't matter how often we see famous people struggle. It doesn't matter how many, people, how many famous people we see overdose or commit suicide. We just see them elevate themselves from the small country town that they are in, and they go to the major city with an with a unlimited bank account, and we see that our kids are striving to be that. Just in America that I'm talking about. They did a study a couple, years before, a couple years before COVID. And the number one thing that kids in elementary school wanted to be when they grew up, they wanted to be YouTube famous. That was the number one thing that kids wanted to be. Now, as they got older to middle school and high school, that trickled down to lower in the list, but it was still in the top five as they got to late middle school, and still was in the top ten as they got to late high school. 
In other countries, this has not been the same. Becoming famous is still not the, still not the top five thing, but it is sneaking into other countries in the top 20, into the top 15. There's a person who followed around famous people. That was her job. I think she was a PR person. And she ended up writing this big blog about being, following around famous people and what she thought. And this was a little excerpt of what it said. She said, I pity celebrities. I really do. They worked, they pushed, and in the morning, each of them became famous. All they wanted to do was take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that they were going to make it one day, that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with some personal fulfillment and happiness had happened. And they were still just them. We all go through this in some sort of variable. Maybe not on a celebrity basis, but we all go through this in our daily lives. And it starts as a young kid. When we were young kids, we say, you know, we saw it on TV and we saw the new toy on TV. We saw the new vacation spot on TV. Or we saw our friends with a new toy. And we say, if we just get this toy, then my life will be better. And then you go on and you get a little older into your, into your job or you get into college. And you say, if I just get this career everything will be better. If I just have this job, if I just work hard enough, if I just put in enough time, I will get to the place where I will be good. And then if you're blessed to have a family, you say, if I just have kids, if I just had a boy and a girl or two boys or two girls or three girls, my life will be good and I'll be good. And if you get later in life and you get to the point where you can retire, you just think, you know, once I get to retirement, once I reach that age, I can just move and I can go to the beach house and I can just be and it will just be good. Then, at that point, I'll be satisfied. I'll be good. If we live our life just trying to elevate our current situation to the next level, if we look into the future and we just say, once I get there, then I'll feel complete. You realize once you get there, you're still yourself. I'm going to quote another thing. A famous writer uh, said this at a graduation commencement speech just a few weeks actually before he committed suicide. This is what he said. In the day-to-day teachings, uh, or sorry, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, such as Jesus Christ or Allah, or it be Yahweh, or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else will eat you alive. Just a few months later, this writer committed suicide, and all the blogs that came off, all the news networks came out and said he must have worshipped the wrong thing and it ate him alive. This is 
what I believe Paul writes about in, in Romans 1 at the beginning of the book where he says, if God gives you the desires of your heart, the only thing that will come out of it is wickedness. And wickedness will consume you. We get, it, get, we get mad at God because he says we should stop worshiping, we should only worship him alone. We should be faithful and obedient to him only. That our life is no longer our own, but we're bought with the blood of Jesus. And we should only follow Christ, because in Christ, through Christ, is the only way to get to heaven. People don't say they don't like rules or regulations in life. They just want what they want. Over the years of study, over the years of watching people, of, of pastoring people, of living life with people, I've come to the conclusion that the, that the reason for this is because anything outside of God, we can't handle. You can read the entire Bible. You can look at all the history books. You can look at all the writings of all of eternity. When humans try to take on the world by themselves, the world wins. And the human is either consumed by the world or consumed by other humans. But what I've also learned over the years is that when we worship Him alone, He is enough. I would like the band to come back up. Here's what I see in the Bible when it comes to us. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who have themselves in the center, and there are those who have Christ in the center. There are only two types of people. We have those that are trying to elevate themselves, and, and there, there's those that are trying to elevate Christ. We have those who have um, tried to make sure that they do everything in their life, and we have those who are trying to follow Christ and have Him lead in their life. And in 2022 in America, other countries do other things, but in America, the number one idol, the number one person and thing in people's lives is themselves. The idol is me. It's you. We, me, you, are the most important thing in your life. Then we have those who are Christ-centered, who are Jesus-centered. Jesus is king. Jesus is the most important. And the crazy things happen in their life. The craziest things is because everything they focus on, all the stress in their life, all the desires of their life, it is no longer a care of this world but is only a care of Christ. I'd like to share this story with you um, before I end with Scripture. When I was in college, um, I've mentioned this story before in a, in a bunch of different ways because it had a m huge impact in my life. Um, I was a part of a... Uh, it ended up being just men in the Bible study over the years. Um, and, and the reason I talk about it so often is because it had such a huge impact in my life, in, 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 especially in Christian conversation. 
Um, understanding that, that men can love each other and have real relationships, that you're not on your own. Um, and they really pushed me to have deeper and deeper conversations and not just stay on the surface level. And when I was in this Bible study, it was the very first time that I couldn't handle my own in Christian conversation. Like, I felt like I was the dumbest person in the room at all times, and I would just sit there and listen most of the time. But they would, these men would push me and push me to actually engage in the conversation, even if I, what I said was silly. But there's one person in the study that I've never mentioned before. Um, his name was Stephen McCrotty. Um, he actually was the dad of one of my best friends in college. And he came, he was invited to come to our Bible study every single week. And this man to this day is the smartest human I've ever met, especially with Christian faith. He was so smart that my professor and mentor in my life in college, whenever we would read this Christian commentary that was written in World War II, he would read something and then look to Mr. McCrotty for the answer because he didn't know. And every single time, Mr. McCrotty would know the answer, especially around history. But the thing about uh, Mr. McCrotty um, that we learned um, my senior year of college is that he was uh, in his 50s, um, and he also had stage 4 cancer. And week after week, I slowly watched as that cancer just slowly ate away his body, but he never missed. And I remember the very last time that he walked through those doors that I saw him. Um, He passed away shortly after this moment. He came in, and he was arm-in-arm with my friend Micah um, because he couldn't walk on his own. Um, It was the end of May, and it was like in Tennessee, it was like 90 degrees already. It was humidity up to the the nines. And he's wearing a a, a down jacket because he's so cold, and he's wearing a beanie. And he sits down, and and Micah asks him what he wants for dinner. And he said, I just want a little bit of soup. And that was the very first time that nobody said anything around the table. And we were just waiting for Mr. McCrady to to finish his soup so that he could tell us something, as he did most of the time. And what he said, I hope I never forget in my life. He said, this Bible study once a week has brought me so much joy, and it's because I would rather spend my time talking about Christ than anything else in my life. He said, even through my pain and through my suffering and through chemo and watching my family go through the ups and downs that they know that their dad's going to pass away soon, my favorite part of the week is coming around the table and talking about our Creator because I know He's enough. I pray that I never forget that conversation that Stephen had with us before he passed away. This is what it says in Galatians 5, 13 through 14. That's not right. 13 through uh, 25. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurities and debauchery, immorality and, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of race, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like that. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The second commandment says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or the waters below. Because those who put God first understand that God is enough. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this scripture that understand the reason you don't want idols in our life, the reason that you become filled with frustration and, and anger and jealousy is because we're telling you that you're not enough. And as we study in scripture and we see history and time and time again, we see God that you are enough. We see that when you fill us with the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those are the only things that we need in our life. And if we follow those things, we will not fall into the temptation of the flesh, but we become passionate and desire the things of your spirit. God, I pray as we go throughout our day, go throughout our week, until we gather again, that we put you first as the King and the God of our life, and have no other things before you, because God, you are enough. God, you are good, and I'm going to ask this all in your Son's name. Amen.